I think I've been in my grandmother's house maybe three or four times since she uh, died just a few years ago. Most of the days of my 19 years uh, before I left home, I would end up in her kitchen at some point. And there was never a time when I was in her kitchen where there was not food. There was not food that was being prepared, something that was being cooked, baked, most often something that was being fried. You could hear it in the skillet. You could smell it. Uh, But that was what her kitchen was all about. And it was the classic southern uh, lady who you enter her house, and the first question is, have y'all eat yet? Have you eaten yet? And whether you want it to or not, you are going to sit down and you are going to eat something before you left. That's just uh, the way she did things. And the last few times that I was at her house after her death, I remember standing in her kitchen and just staring out the back window over her sink. And, And in that moment, those smells, whether I didn't even mean to, the smells of her kitchen just kind of came back to me. Turnip greens. I could distinctly smell her turnip greens. And I don't know how for 19 years I got away with never tasting a turnip green. I've never tasted one, and she would have them with every meal. The, the fried chicken, I, I, could, I could smell it as I stood in her kitchen. And all of the food that she would always prepare at Thanksgiving and Christmas, if I, 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 could, I could stand there and smell it as if it was being cooked in that moment. Gravy and biscuits every morning for breakfast. All of those sensations came back even without me uh, trying, even, even without me noticing it, just in that moment, I, all of those smells, aromas, I could distinctly remember. Now, the Passover was to be a meal full of sensations. The, the, the people of Israel were to see things as they celebrated the meal, the Passover, They were to smell things as they celebrated the Passover. And they were to taste things. As we just heard read, on the night before the Exodus, God commanded all of the families to sacrifice a lamb without blemish. And the blood of this lamb was to be wiped over the doorpost of the home. And the family, they they would sit inside of the house and enjoy a meal. And this meal included uh, this lamb, the meat of the lamb roasted. It It included bitter herbs, and the herbs were to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. Eventually, it would include a paste that was to remind them of the bricks that they made for Pharaoh in Egypt. Eventually, there would be salt water there that was to remind them of their tears in Egypt. There were all kinds of smells, all kinds of sensations associated with this meal. And as we saw in detail, there would be unleavened bread. Because when God told his people to leave Egypt, they did not have time to leaven their bread. It was time to go. And even so, they would enjoy the meal with their cloaks tucked in and their sandals on their feet just to remind them of deliverance. God had freed them from slavery, and it was time for them to go. And then there was the cup. Eventually, there would be four cups. 
And as they celebrated the cup, the fruit of the vine, they were to remember the I am statements in Exodus 6 that God always fulfills his promise. From promising promises, from promises to deliver them to making, his pe- making them his people gathered together once and for all. All of these smells, all of these sensations, all of these sights were to be before them as they sat down and enjoyed this meal. And every time they were to remember the first Passover, when the angel of death invaded Egypt, and those who had sacrificed the lamb and wiped the blood on the doorpost, God passed over their sin. But for those who disregarded the command, especially Pharaoh and thousands of Egyptians, the firstborn in their homes were killed, and this led to the Israelites leaving Egypt. God said, every year I want you to sit down, I want you to taste these things. I I want you to smell these things. I want you to see the blood. I want you to be reminded of what I have done for you, and I want you to be reminded with these sensations. The smells, just like the smells in our grandmother's kitchen, remind us of a person As the people of Israel celebrated the Passover, they were to remember a person, Yahweh, who delivered them. And as Jesus and Mark enters Jerusalem, he has told his disciples, I can't wait to celebrate this Passover with you. I have longed for three years to gather with you and celebrate this Passover in Jerusalem Because for Jesus, the disciples, and even for us, this would be the last Passover meal. As we talked about last week, Peter and John, they have gone ahead and they have prepared a room and they have prepared a place for the disciples to come in and celebrate this meal. And here, as we'll see today, Jesus changes the meal. He institutes changes, and it is the meal that we will celebrate today as the Lord's table. Notice verse 22. As they were eating the Passover, notice he took, often the head of the table, or usually when the meal was celebrated, the person at the head of the table, he would take each element of the meal, put it before the people, and explain it to them. This is what this means. And here Jesus is taking the lead. He is the head of the table. He's explaining to the disciples what all of this will mean. And and they're probably there waiting for the normal Passover that they have always celebrated. And yet Jesus makes a change. Notice he took the bread, the unleavened bread that we talked about, that represented haste. It's time to get out of Egypt. And after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to them. He breaks the bread, begins to hand it out, and here is what he says. Take this, my body. The unleavened bread, take it, and as you hold it in your hands, what I want you to know is this is my body. This is my body. And here symbolically, This is to represent the body of Christ. And the other gospel writers, they say, given for you. This is my body that has become a substitute for you. My body, which means my whole person that will be given over in your place. 
And so every time we come to the Lord's table, we have a lesson in what is called substitutionary atonement, which is essential to become a Christian. You have to believe that there was something that was sacrificed in your place, and eventually someone was sacrificed in your place. The Israelites, they believed that the lamb, the Passover lamb, the blood on the door, this lamb was slaughtered in their place for their sins. But notice here, there's no lamb mentioned. Many believe that Jesus, there wasn't even a lamb present. And why is that? The bread replaces the lamb. And who is the bread? Jesus himself. Jesus has become the Passover. Jesus has become the substitute for their sin. The judgment of God, the angel of the Lord that that was bearing down upon the Egyptians and anyone who disregarded the command of the Passover. The, the, The judgment of God was bearing down And here the judgment of God has borne down on Jesus. He has endured God's judgment, the slaughter that that we deserve for our sin. As Paul would say, at the cross, our Passover, Jesus was crucified. And as we mentioned several times, the unleavened bread symbolized deliverance. God's judgment has passed over your house. You are free to go. Get out. Leave slavery behind you. And here as he holds the bread and the disciples hold the bread. And today as we will hold the bread, we are to remember that we are free. Because there has been a substitute for our sin and his name is Jesus. Even as the Israelites were to celebrate we are free to go, today we will celebrate we are free to go. You are free from your sin Why? Because he took your place. He is the substitute. He is the Passover. You are free from bondage of your past sin that would bear down and condemn you today and slaughter you before God. You are free from your guilt. Those worst moments, worst seasons in your life, worst decisions that you could possibly make, those things that have destroyed you, those things that have wrecked your life and others. And as you contemplate your sin, if you believe the gospel and you trust at the cross that Jesus was your Passover, you are free to go. You are free to leave that guilt behind. And that's what we celebrate when we come to the table. As the men come forward, I want you to consider this. You deserve God's infinite wrath, God's infinite judgment for your sin. Here's the reality. God hates sin, and sin deserves his full fury. And yet in Christ, all of the anger, all of the fury... Even the the, the bit of frustration that you seem to think about sometimes that God has with you, it was unleashed upon Christ, your Passover. He is your substitute. In verse 23, we see that he took a cup. Now, eventually, there would have been four cups at the Passover. And many believe this is the third cup of the meal. 
And this cup represented redemption or salvation, that God would, as he says in Exodus 6, deliver his people, redeem them from bondage. It was the fruit of the vine, eventually wine, that symbolized celebration. We have redemption through our God. And so Jesus takes this cup, and the text says, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they drank of it. And so the disciples pass this cup around. And if you remember when the disciples had an argument about who is the greatest, and they began clamoring, I want to be great. I want to sit at your right hand. Jesus stopped them and he said, you're going to be great. You're going to, you're going to, to be great but there's no way you can drink the cup of greatness that I will have to drink. Meaning, I will drink the wrath of God down for you. Oh, oh, you will be a part of that. You will identify with that, but not in the way that I will have to suffer and endure. And here in this moment, as they're passing this cup around, we see the picture of this. Jesus, who will go to the cross and endure the wrath of God, begins to share that with the disciples. And they begin to drink in what he will provide for them. And then he, exp he, he explains it here. As they are drinking, he said to them, this is my blood. Now, we don't believe that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ. Or the blood actually becomes the blood of Christ. And we see Jesus, him there, here, is, is seated in front of his disciples. In that moment, there was nothing that changed in the bread or cup. And so Jesus here is pointing to his blood. And notice he says, of the covenant. Now, covenant, we might say, is a promise. But as we read our Old Testament, we know those promises are sealed in blood. People would make contracts and covenants and promises with one another, and often they would kill animals, and they would separate the animals, and they would walk in between them. And what they would say is, if I break this covenant with you, I deserve to be dead like the animals around us. I deserve to have my blood shed. And here Jesus is saying, I am making a covenant with you. I am making a promise with you. But we know that this promise is sealed in his blood. He does everything to fulfill the contract. He does everything to fulfill the promise. His life has already been taken for the covenant. Now, as we think about blood, and here it kind of gets culted and weird. This is my blood. If somebody said that today, we would leave. We would get out. be running for the doors. But blood, blood gives life. Blood, blood provides life. And killing a lamb was way different than cutting a plant or sawing down a tree. It's the same reason if someone hits their head today and there's blood gushing. If you're like me, you're going to get weak in your knees. When you see the blood, you're going to want to pass out. Why, why is that? I don't do that when I mow my yard. I don't do that when I, when I cut a tree down. Why is that? 
Because life is being taken from this living thing, and you see it in the blood. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to seal this covenant with my life. My life will be taken so the covenant you have before God can be fulfilled. You see, the judgment for our sin is death. And to escape that judgment, life must be taken, blood must be shed. And the blood of the Passover symbolized a life had been taken. As families took out a knife and sliced the neck of this little lamb, it was to symbolize this is a life that is being taken. Your debt, your sin debt before God is being paid. And you trust God enough to obey him and to pull out the knife and do it. A life must be taken. But as we know from the writer of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, they could never pay the eternal death. They could never pay the eternal debt and purchase eternal life for us. There had to be an eternal lamb. There had to be an infinitely perfect lamb. And in Jesus' death, his bloodshed, it paid that eternal penalty for us. The eternal judgment and wrath of God on the cross that was poured out on him. And as we gather today and as we take up the cup, as we celebrate that blood has been shed for us and we think about the covenant, we in in celebrating blood... We are celebrating God's commitment to us. He has made a covenant with us. And he said, I will shed my blood so that that covenant is fulfilled on your behalf. I will do it, and I am committed to you. You see, the power, the wonder-working power, some of you know that song, in the blood is this. The blood symbolizes the reality that you have already been crucified. Jesus has died in your place for your sin, and the blood symbolizes his commitment to you. That is the power of the blood. And as a sinner, you can stand today covered in his blood by faith. You trust in the cross, and his judgment covers you, and you're reminded he's committed to me. He has covered me in the blood of Christ. You see, you would take the Passover lamb and have it sacrificed. Here it's God himself who has brought his Passover lamb for you. This is his commitment to you, sealed in his blood. And his judgment has and will always pass over you because of the blood of Christ. God will not change his mind about the blood of his son. He won't. He's committed to Jesus. He's committed to honoring the life of Jesus that was taken for you. He's committed to honoring the precious blood of Christ that covers you. And so as we take up the cup, we are to remember that commitment. We are to remember that God is committed to us even though we're not committed to him. By faith, we are to trust That my lack of commitment to his law, to his word, even to his son is covered in his commitment to me, in the blood of his son. We've all decided to do things our way. God has revealed his way, and we said, I will not commit to that.
Today, in here, there are specific commands of God that you could recite that you have probably violated this morning. There there are ways in which you have disobeyed God's commands even today. And the tendency is to wonder, is God still committed to me? Even in the moments where I'm tempted by momentary pleasure, is God's still committed to me. Well, Scripture teaches us that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And God's plan was that the blood would spill out for you to prove you you today He is committed to you. He will not change His mind about the blood of Christ. As we continue in the text, notice after the bread and the cup, notice Jesus' words, verse 25. Truly I say to you, meaning, amen, this, what I'm about to say is certain, I promise, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. See, eventually, there, as I said earlier, there were four cups. Jesus has only taken the third cup at this point. Now, the fourth cup symbolized God gathering his people to himself. And so as they would partake of the fourth cup, they would remember there's coming a day where he will take us to himself. We will be with him forever. And so I believe in this moment, Jesus says, the fourth cup, I will not drink until you are with me in the kingdom. In this moment, Jesus is waiting for the fourth cup. And his promise is secure. He will bring you to himself. And there will be a day where we will celebrate it with the fruit of the vine and the kingdom of God consummated in full. And here Jesus vows to do this. This is like someone saying, I will not eat until I accomplish this. I will not drink. I I, I am committed to this with my whole being. I will go without until this vow is completed. And we know there is a day where the kingdom will come down. The new Jerusalem, the city will come down to earth. And every tongue and every tribe and every people and every nation will gather around the throne of Christ. And Jesus says, I am waiting until that moment to celebrate the fourth cup with you. One of the things the Jews often did when they were in captivity away from Jerusalem and they would celebrate the Passover toward the end of the meal, they would hold the cup up and look at one another and say, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. And so not only today have we looked back to the cross, have we looked to to the present Where right now, if you believe the gospel, you are covered in the blood of Christ. We look to the future. And every time we partake of the table, every time we partake of the cup, we are to hold it up and say, next time, next time in the new Jerusalem. It is to cultivate a longing in our heart. That's why communion, the Lord's table, isn't to be this sort of miserable experience. 
Some of you came in today and said, the Lord's table, so I got to get really sad for Jesus today. I got to think about how awful I am and all the bad things. You need to consider your sin, that your sin has been covered, that he's your substitute. You need to consider that. It's not the same unless you know you're a sinner. But because of the blood of Christ, it's a celebration. And we long together with Jesus in flesh and blood and celebrate him. You know, there's a day where we will not eat crackers and grape juice. Sometimes I begrudge that. If you know some of my own personal views of the Lord's table, I'd like to have one loaf that we just pass around and one cup that we pass around. But I'm also a germaphobe. And so there's always a conflict with that in my mind. And so there, but there's a day where this will not exist. These things will be melted down and molded into something better. There is a day where we will not take communion. Just like it would be wrong for us to bring a Passover lamb in here today and slit its throat. We don't need it. We have Jesus. And there is a day where we won't need this meal. We will be with Jesus. And that is what we are to look forward to today. You see, as I stood in my grandmother's kitchen, it really wasn't the food I missed. It was the person who prepared the food. And the smells reminded me of that person's love and care for me. You see, the Passover reminded the people of a past event where God passed over sin. The Lord's table reminds us today of a person. This is why Jesus would say these really um, odd, extreme words. He would say, if you want any part of me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What does he mean by that? That's in the Bible. He said it. He said it in front of large crowds. The disciples were probably freaking out. What do you mean by that? We're not a cult. We're not, we don't worship idols. That's what idol worshipers do. That's what cannibals do. What are you talking about? Well, what he meant in that moment is you need me more than you need the Passover. You need me more than you need the bread and the cup. The bread in the cup is about me. You need me. And your faith and trust in me, it's to be like eating. You don't forget to eat. And when we do forget to eat, what happens to our body? We get tired. Our energy is depleted. Jesus is saying something similar here. To the degree you forget to trust me, you will be tired and depleted. You will be worn out. And that's how some of you are living today. You are consumed with life. You are consumed with the here and now. You are consumed with your problems in the moment, and you are forgetting Jesus. You are forgetting to feast by faith on him and what he has done for you. And you're worn out, and you lack energy. And then you're, you're filling yourself with the cotton candy promises of the world. And there's nothing left of those things. And what you need is to feast upon Jesus today. 
What you need is to eat his flesh and drink his blood in the gospel, to remember him and what he has done for you. See, one of the most insulting things to my grandmother was to not eat in her kitchen. You, you just could not do it. She would be in tears. She would be angry. She would be frustrated. It's extremely insulting. But even more insulting to that were the days, and I only tried it like twice, is when she had a meal prepared, something fried, mashed potatoes, green beans. I know some of you are getting hungry. And when I would stop at McDonald's and try to bring fast food into her kitchen, she, she hated that. She was absolutely, utterly offended and appalled that anyone would bring McDonald's and eat it before this feast. That was insulting to her. And yet that's the same thing some of you are doing today before God. He has prepared for you a feast in the gospel. He has given his life The bread of life has been sacrificed for you. And what you're trying to do today by faith is to trust in some specialness in and of yourself. Some goodness in and of yourself. You you are scrounging up crumbs before God saying, I'm not that bad. God will look over my sin. I'm not as bad as other people. And you're trying to look for some sustenance in crumbs. And before you is the bread of life, the gospel. And he says, no, come feast. Come feast. You're going to starve to death. Feast. You're going to go to hell trusting in your own specialness and goodness and trying to deny your sin. And some of you come in here today and you are so happy with all the good things that you're doing for Jesus. And you've convinced yourself that's what makes God happy with you. And the moment you begin to convince yourself God's really not that happy with me, what do you do? You begin to work harder. You look for some other things. Oh, that's cotton candy in the presence of God. That's a number two combo meal in front of fried chicken. It doesn't work. It's not going to fill your gut. It's unhealthy for you. So is the fried chicken, but you get the point, right? You have a feast. You have a feast in the gospel. You have God's commitment to you, and he's committed to you. No matter how you feel about his happiness towards you, there are days where you say, I am knocking it out of the park for Jesus. I I read my Bible. I prayed. I posted it all on Facebook. Everybody knows about it. I am a great Christian today. God is committed to me. And then there are other days you don't even want to get out of bed. <laughs> Looking at your Bible almost makes you sick to your stomach. Oh, if you believe in Jesus today... God's just as committed to you on both of those days, either day, when you're knocking out of the park or you don't even go near your Bible. Jesus, it's about Jesus, his blood, his commitment to you. Some of you come in here today and you 
You look at the world's problems, you look at potential war, you look at the problems with government, you look at all of these things, and and you spend your time worrying and looking for the next article, and how is this thing going to turn out? How is this thing going to, to end in a way in which it makes me happy? And you're feasting on the narrative of the world and narratives other people can tell you about how all the problems will be solved. And you're starving yourself to death. You're making yourself sick when you have before you the promise of this eternal kingdom and this king who will open up the sky and he will plant his rule in the new Jerusalem and the curse of sin and death will be reversed all around the cosmos. He's the only one who can fix it. And he says, come today, feast on me, trust in me. I wonder today if you will leave starving or feasting.